Alhamdulillahi wa kafa. Wassalamu ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa. Amma ba'd. Fa'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Walladhina jahadu fina lanahdiyannahum subulana. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wassalamu ala al-mursaneen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim few days ago I was speaking with an individual who is highly trained in recitation of the Qur'an. And he said something interesting, which honestly I was already wanting to talk about this topic, but when he shared this story with me, it was just the perfect segue into the topic that I wanted to discuss. I've wanted to discuss this topic for two weeks, but I keep getting diverted by the other topics we've been speaking about. Let me share the story, then I'll talk about the topic. So he said that, again, he's extremely versed in the Qur'an, and he spends a tremendous amount of time with the Qur'an, and he's um, also competed in competitions throughout the world uh, in recitation of Qur'an. So he said to me that one of the unique and strange barakat of the Qur'an is that the Qur'an accepts no competitors. One of the unique blessings of the Qur'an is that the Qur'an is so pure that it accepts no competitors. Now, what I mean by competitors here, again, these are my words. I'm just, trans, just uh, you know, sharing these, just transmitting these words. Uh, what, what we mean by competitors here is that it accepts no impurity. And that's really what's meant here. So, for example, let me just explain that the Qur'an is the ultimate, one of the ultimate bodies of purity in our deen. And this Qur'an will not accept impurity. Now, the example he gave said that one time he was competing in a Qur'an competition. And he said that it was like a layered competition. You know, layered like you go through, you compete at one level, and then the uh, few winners that rise up and then they compete again, and then the few winners, they rise up and they compete again. So essentially, uh, he competed at the first level, and he said he just decimated the competition. Decimated the competition. There was no even question in the judge's mind, in the audience's mind. It was a big competition, Quran recitation competition. So he said there was no even question, he came in first place. And the second level was the exact same. No even question. Like it was just like, uh, you know, NBA versus, uh, you know, some eighth grade basketball team type, type of circumstance. He said, when he got to the third competition, he said, I was so sure that I'm going to win first place. It was not even like a given. It was just, I'm here, let me just collect my award and go home type of, type of, type of idea in his mind. 
He says, SubhanAllah, while I was reciting, I got, I got stuck and couldn't remember a simple place in the Qur'an that I never had gotten stuck at before. Never had gotten stuck at before. And he said that the lesson that he learned was that this Qur'an is so high that even the slightest degree of impurity cannot be mixed with it. Meaning, first, lo- first time he was competing, he was competing for the sake of Allah, and he wanted to recite the Qur'an beautifully the way his teachers had taught him. He wanted to embellish the, you know, the beauty of the Qur'an with the beauty of his voice. So there was no competitor. There was, nothing, there was no impurity, right? There was no impurity in his intention. There was no impurity in his Qur'an, his recitation of Qur'an. Second level, same thing. Third level, this just thought came in his mind. Thought just came in his mind that no one can beat me. Here, nobody's going to be able to beat me. But that little bit of impurity, now what is that? That's a degree of pride, correct? Because it's not the human being that ever is the one that's reciting in the sense that the human being doesn't have any ability. Allah is the one that gives ability. Allah is the one that grants tawfiq. Only if Allah wills can anything occur. None of us can even move without the permission of Allah. So the moment this notion came in his mind, that me, I'm, I, you know, the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he removed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the equation from his mind, and he came, me, I, I am going to win. That tiny degree of pride, even if you can call it pride, whatever, that tiny thought, that little thought, fleeting thought, fleeting thought that came, he said, subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Qur'an, and Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, through the Qur'an, put me in my place. And when he shared that story with me, um, I myself was, like I mentioned, you know, subhanAllah, I was thinking about this topic from before, which is that one of the things that we should always appreciate and sometimes we fail to understand is that this deen is pure. Islam is pure. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pure. Jannah is pure. This deen is purity upon purity. And if someone comes to the circumstance where they try to mix even the slightest degree of impurity with it, there will be a reaction such that in one, some way, shape, or form, it'll blow up in their face to reveal the circumstance. You know, honestly, the example I was going to give until this better example came up, which I just shared, is that some, I, I was thinking about this topic, and then I was going to give this example because it came to my head when I was doing this on a computer. Sometimes you take a file, and you, put, you try to put it in a folder, and then the computer makes like a funny noise, and then the file shakes, and it sends it back to where it came from, right? You, pick up, you, you drag a file, you're trying to put it in a folder, but the operating system is not designed to handle that because you're somehow conflicting with the underlying operating system. So you move the file, and then it gives you like this noise, like a, you know, like a rejection noise, and then it shakes the file and throws it back in the corner where it belongs, correct? So in the same way, there's an operating protocol, there's an operating system in Deen, which is that Allah is pure, Jannah is pure, Deen is pure, nothing can be mixed with it except that which is pure. I'll give you another example. Just think of the example, even from the seerah. Even from the seerah, think of an example. For example, you know that after Fatah Makkah, now all of you are aware, let's go back just historically. 
all of you are aware that uh, the Prophet and them went through tremendous struggle and sacrifice until eventually he was given Al-Fatih, which was the conquering of Mecca in the most beautiful of ways. But it occurred at the very, very end of his mission, towards the end of his mission. And Sahaba went through numerous struggles to get to that point, numerous struggles to get to that point. Many, many times, the odds were highly stacked against them. Many, many times, the odds were highly stacked against them. And yet, they came out victorious. After the conquest of Mecca, the next battle was the Battle of Hunayn. And in the Battle of Hunayn, which literally just occurred days, you know, days after the conquest of Mecca, you had 10,000 Sahaba who had come with the Prophet to conquer Mecca. So you have 10,000 right there. Now Mecca has fallen. With the falling of Mecca, you got another 2,000 people who have joined their ranks, correct? So we're talking about the Muslims now being 12,000 strong. And they were 12,000 strong, and not only 12,000 strong, but when the Meccans joined, the Meccans brought all their equipment, armor, etc., all joined into the cache of uh, arms that they had at that time. So when they stood on the battlefield for the Battle of Hunayn, the thought came in the minds of some of the new people who had just joined the gathering that there's no way this army can be defeated. They looked behind them and they saw 12,000 people outnumbering. For the first time, the Muslims were actually outnumbering, right, in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a battle that's about to occur. So the thought came in their mind that with this number, there's no way we can be overwhelmed. There's no way we can lose this battle. And in fact, subhanAllah, the Qur'an actually quotes the circumstance by saying, إِذْ أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ كَثْرَتُكُمْ when your abundance overwhelmed you, amazed you. When your abundance overwhelmed, uh, overwhelmed and amazed you. Meaning, the Muslims at that time were so overwhelmed by the number of people and all of the supplies and all of the circumstance that they themselves were shocked and amazed. Now, subhanAllah, what happened? How did that battle begin? The battle began where they were sure they were going to be victorious and very quickly they were routed. Now, subhanAllah, at the end, the battle reverses because it comes down back to the core companions, and they obviously had this lesson already embedded in them. But even for them to lose, or not lose, but we can say even them to be overwhelmed by the enemy in the early part of that battle was a consequence of what? Was a consequence of trying to mix this, this idea, this idea that numbers or... Um, or supplies is somehow going to do the job that we can rely on these things instead of relying on Allah. Now, it's normal, right? Any normal human being would look at the numbers, look at the, the people, look at the supplies and say, we have a really good chance here. But their deen was so pure that even that concept couldn't be mixed in with their deen. They had to understand that it was Allah and Allah alone that was the one that does all and therefore, they cannot look at the numbers and be contented by the numbers. They should only look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, the, in, a, in essence, you can say the file of their, um, of their amazement at their numbers and their amazement at their supplies got rejected and put back in its place 
so that they could be awoken to the reality of what? The reality that nothing impure can be mixed with this deen. So this is a general principle that all of us have to appreciate. Now, why am I sharing this? Now, you said this is a very esoteric topic. What is he talking about? So let me just relate this to all of our lives. One of the questions that arises in the mind of many believers is why is it that, okay, let me actually take a step back. Let me just give you an example of how this applies in our lives. Here's what happens. You have a striving Muslim. You have a striving Muslim who's trying to advance in their deen. Now what happens is they make a mistake. For example, they look at something they shouldn't have looked at. Or they say something they shouldn't have said. Or they do something that they shouldn't have done. Okay, they know they shouldn't do it. It's impure. And they do it in the backdrop of their trying to advance in deen. Now what happens? There's an explosion that occurs in their face. And they end up seeing it someplace else in their life. For example, then they go home and they have a fight with their spouse. Just as an example. Then they go home, they have a fight with their spouse. Or some other calamity hits them. Now, this is a very common thing, but see, we don't necessarily appreciate it because we're not able to see one-to-one relationships. Because our lives are so, complica- so complex and so muddled that we're not able to see one-to-one relationships. But our scholars, they used to make an interesting point. They used to say that I could see the effects of my mistakes when I would go home. Now, now listen to that statement. You have to understand what they're saying. I could see the effects of my mistakes or my sins when I would go home. Meaning, if they happen to make a mistake, they would see the effect blow up in their face in some other circumstance in their life. And they had relatively pure lives So they would be able to make a one-to-one correlation. They would be able to say, I did this thing because I did this thing. This thing in my life blew up in my face. Maybe something bad happened to me at my job or something bad happened to me at home or something bad happened to me as I was, I don't know, walking in the street, whatever it might be. They were able to see a direct relationship of a mistake that they made and the effect that it had in their lives. So this is something that all of us are experiencing but we don't recognize why. Okay, so let me give you two extremes. Okay, now there's one person, right? There's one person who's not pursuing a law. They're not, see, they don't have, okay, their, their operating system's not running on this purity. So they're not, they're not pursuing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They go off and do A, B, C, D, E. All of them are discordant with deen and all of them are impure, but there's no rejection of their file. They don't see like a, 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 a problem occur in their lives. Now, why don't they see a problem occur in their lives? Well, first of all, there's always some minor problem that can occur, but they're not trying to mix impurity with purity. They're mixing impurity upon impurity. They don't see that earthquake occur when they do it, and they don't, they don't feel the effect immediately. Now, does that mean that the effect of sin is not going to create a veil on the heart and create darkness in the heart and create emptiness in a person? Sure, it will. But are they going to be able to make any kind of correlation with those things? Unlikely. So that's one extreme. And that's the extreme that we tend to look at. 
Right? We tend to look at the lives of other people and we try to compare it to ourselves, but those people may not be pursuing deen or pursuing purity in that way. Okay, now you've got the opposite extreme. Okay, you've got pious individual who's trying to go to the masjid, who's trying to establish deen in their lives, who's trying to, live up, trying to do, do, do things that are pure. Okay, so now they've set their operating system on a completely different level. They're operating in a system of purity. Now what happens is they do something they shouldn't do. They shouldn't have done. As soon as they do something they shouldn't have done, there's an earthquake that occurs because that gets rejected and sent back to where it belonged. But in the process of regurgitating that, there's like a shake that occurs on the file, right? Just like the whole folder shakes and then sends a sound and throws the file away. So there's this rejection that occurs in the life of the believer when they try to mix that impurity. It shakes them, sometimes shakes them to their core. Now, for example, Quraysh wouldn't have been able to appreciate any of this before, right? Quraysh would look at the numbers. They would say, this is who's going to win. This is who's going to lose. And for the most part, things would work that way because everybody in that paradigm was operating on a system that had nothing to do with purity. But when it came to Sahaba, Sahaba were operating on a paradigm of purity. For there to even be a moment in that paradigm of this notion that it's us, and it isn't coming, the victory comes from us, it doesn't come from Allah, that tiny degree of impurity was enough for the whole system to shake. Just that tiny degree. In fact, you can even say it this way, I mean, to show you how, uh, how fine-tuned the QAQC, QA, quality control, quality assurance, QAQC, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is even the example that we gave uh, in tafsir, maybe five, six months ago, seven months ago, I can't remember when, but when the Prophet ﷺ, right, he frowned and he turned away. Now, look, in this, in this example of the Qur'an, which I explained in detail, you know, on, on that day when we met, in this example of the Qur'an, what's happening? The Prophet ﷺ just frowned. And he frowned in the face of whom? He frowned in the face of a person who couldn't see. Right? I mean, the Prophet is frowning. He doesn't say a word. He just gives off a little frown in the face of someone who can't see. Yet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yet the sunnah is so pure and so noble and so elevated that even that tiny act had to be rejected from the sunnah and that those verses were revealed. Essentially, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was doing quality, quality assurance, quality control of the, the pure sunnah itself. So that even just the minor frowning of the Prophet which by the way was not a mistake, it was a circumstance in which the Prophet chose one of two choices. And in fact, if, if you remember from that conversation we had when we did the tafsir of these ayat, it was a circumstance where Allah, where the Prophet ﷺ chose from one of two circumstances, and it totally made sense why that choice was, was taken, according to the scholars. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was doing quali does quality control of the sunnah, the sunnah is so pure that even that tiny action couldn't coexist within the purity of the sunnah, and so the Quran makes it very clear. So the point that's being the point that I'm trying to make here is that. The more an individual strives for purity, the, the, more it will, the more the circumstances that when they make a mistake, 
their life will shake. They will see it. You cannot get away. A person who's trying to bring purity into their lives, they're trying to come to the masjid, they're trying to recite the Quran, they're trying to do dhikr, they're trying to purify their wealth, they're trying to purify their hearts. When they go and look at something they shouldn't look at, 100% they're going to see it in some, some other part of their life. It's going to be the, the kids are going to say something to them. Their work is going to say something to them. Their spouse is going to say something to them. Some other issue will occur that will expunge that circumstance and make it clear for them what, would ha- what was happening. Now, they give a name to this. I'm not going to go into the technicalities, but there's a name that some of the, the scholars give to this whole, this whole notion. But my point is that when things go wrong in life, Okay, for the one who's striving. Now, again, it depends on what your operating system is. If your operating system is an operating system of dunya and no purity, and you're, it's filth upon filth, then we're, this conversation is not relevant. But if the operating system is one of deen, which is predicated upon the, the exponential degrees of purity, purity of my heart, purity of my soul, purity of my sight, purity of my intention, then it should be made very clear to us, it will be made very clear to us, and we should appreciate that when something goes wrong in our lives, that's not the time to run around and blame everybody. That's the time to ask the question, where did my mistake occur? Where, where did my mistake occur? What was it that I'm doing or have done that brought that impurity into, that, 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 such that the impurity resulted in this earthquake in my life? I'm not saying major, massive earthquake, but we can feel it shake. We can see that, you know, I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have looked at this. I shouldn't have touched this. I shouldn't have even thought this, depending on the degree to which the person has excelled in their deen. And all of a sudden, something wrong will happen. And it's important for us to be able to appreciate it. Now, normal, normal, uh, the, the most common reaction is to blame the world. Oh, you know, uh, I'm not getting along with this person in my life. Uh, and the reason is because this person is this and this and this, and they're that and that and that, and they're, you know, this is what they do wrong, and that's what they do wrong, and, and, and that's fine. That, that's the way the world likes to look at things, you know, but not in, you know, we don't look in the mirror, we, we just look at blame, we look at a, a reason to blame everyone. But actually, life is a mirror. Life is a mirror. So let me say it this way. When you look in a mirror, the point isn't to look at the cracks in the mirror. The point is to look at the reflection. Doesn't matter how many cracks are in the mirror. The one who looks at the mirror and says, oh, I saw 10 cracks. <laughs> they lost the purpose of the mirror. The purpose of the mirror was to see yourself. Doesn't matter how many cracks. Doesn't matter how dented the mirror was. So the point that I'm trying to make here is that when things go wrong in life, that's a mirror. The world around us is a mirror. Our spouses are a mirror. The people around us are mirrors. The way we interact, the other people, when they interact with us, that's all a mirror. When we look in that mirror, the point isn't to then find the deficiencies in the mirror. That wasn't the goal of looking in the mirror. The goal of looking in the mirror is to see our own reflection. So we should see when things don't go our way, we see that there's, a, there's turmoil in our life. We should look at the mirror of the circumstance and ask the first question, where's the impurity in me? Where's the impurity in me? Why is this happening? Is there impurity in me? We should comb our lives for impurity. Now, people love to look in the mirror. The first thing they love to do is look in the mirror and blame the mirror. Right? Why is there a crack in this? Why is there a crack in that? This person is like this, that person is like that. 
Second, they want to blame everything outside of the mirror. This is happening because my neighbor is reading anti-dua against me, and uh, this, my relative is reading this against me, and my that is reading that against me. Which, mind you, I don't deny that it's a possibility, but it's exceedingly unlikely, and it's a very rare circumstance. It's not the most common reason. The most common reason why things don't go our way, why life blows up in our face, is because of our own sins, because of our own impurities. We are claiming purity by showing up in the masjid, by standing here, by trying to pray in the masjid, by engaging with the Qur'an, by trying to learn the deen, and then we, tried, we, we bring in this impurity and mix it in with that. And when we mix it in with that, it's going to be rejected, and it's going to shake, and we're going to have some earthquake occur in our life, sometimes minor, sometimes major. So when circumstances occur in our lives that don't go the way that we want them to go, the first question to ask is, where is the impurity? And we should comb our lives. We should comb our lives. We should comb our days. We should ask ourselves, what sin am I trying to mix with deen? Is it arrogance? Is it looking at something I shouldn't be looking at? Is it some sort of financial transaction? Is it talking about things I shouldn't be speaking about? It could be a myriad of, myriad of different things. And we're not here to judge one another. We're here to judge ourselves. But that's the first step when we face that type of circumstance. Again, I'm not saying that that means that the world is perfect. I mean, then people will write me and say that I said that, you know, let everybody do what they want. I'm not saying that the world is perfect. I'm just saying the first question is us. Ask the question of ourselves. I would I'd be willing to say that most people in life would see that if we just cleaned up our own act, by the way, I mean, of course, we're striving for Dean, so this is where the challenge arises, right? If we just, in the context of striving for Dean, if we just cleaned up our own act, we would find that most of the circumstances that um, plague us would disappear. Now, is there a possibility that really it's the other person's fault? Okay, that's on the list of possibilities, I grant that but that we're not in control of that, so we let that go. Is it a possibility that this is just a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which comes upon the believers to just further purify them? That's also a possibility. It's also a likely possibility for the most pious individuals. But at least we should have first started by calming and asking what sins can I remove? What, what, is this a direct result of any sin that I did or is there something in my life that I need to fix? Is this a possibility? Is there a possibility that this is because somebody's been reading, you know, anti-du'a against me? Okay, that's also a possibility. I grant that. But it's not the first on the list. It's not the first on the differential. It's towards the bottom of the differential. And anyway, we should just work through the sequence. First step is to always start by asking, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Where, where is the mistake in me? Life is a mirror. Everything that happens in life is a mirror. It it's allows me to pause and ask the question, why is this happening to me? Why is it that this fight just occurred? Why is it that, uh, you know, this just happened at work, whatever it might be? That's the first question that all of us should ask. And this is the lesson that's taught in so many different ways. And, you know, like I said, the scholars would say, it's a very interesting statement. The scholars would say, I would see the effects of my mistakes the moment I walked in the door at home. I would see the effects of my mistakes the moment I walked in the door at home. What that meant is that if they happened to make a mistake, 
they would see the earthquake in some issue with their family. Or there's some other circumstance that can happen as well. But just I'm just giving this quote as an example. Anyway, the summary is that Dean is pure. Dean is pure. And it doesn't accept any degree of impurity to be mixed with it. And the more a person strives in Dean, the more they make a claim of purity, the higher the likelihood that when they mix something impure, they're going to get a very severe reaction. So when there's such a reaction, and when we're faced with such circumstances, the first step to ask is, where is the problem with what I tried to mix? That's where the, cha- that's where the first challenge lies. And then after that, we can ask all the other questions that I just listed. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are able to achieve the purity of heart and purity of soul that is required in this deen. May he make us amongst those who are pure of shirk. May he make us amongst those who are pure of kufr. May he make us amongst those who are pure from anything other than him. May he make us amongst those who are pure from sin. May he make us amongst those who are pure from bad character. وآخر الدعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين